Well, good morning. Let's try that one more time. Good morning. That's a little bit better. This is my third time up here. Baseball, you get three tries, three strikes, and you're out. I came in December, I came two weeks ago and today, and at five o'clock today you will vote whether I have hit it in the ballpark or not. A home run is not going to happen today, I just want to advise you way up front. So uh, the reality is you have very competent, very capable staff, and um, don't really think you need an interim because you have competent, capable staff, but it is a joy to be able to, to be here today and to be at this time as we seek God's will together. Uh, we want God's will to be done. And I'm not here to give direction to your staff. I'm here to support them, encourage them, and to love on you because that's kind of what I love to do. I love to love on people. I'm a pastor at heart. Um, I was 40 years as a pastor before I became a denominational dude. And uh, so uh, it, is, it is an honor to be here today and to be able to be with you today. If you have your Bible, I'd like to invite you to take your Bible and turn to Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. This will help you get to know me a little bit better. This is my life verse and Victor's life verse. We share this together. I have another one, Victor. I don't know if you have this one, John 3.30. He must increase and I must decrease. Someone a while ago said, good luck on this afternoon. I said, it's not about luck. It's about the Lord's will, and that's what we're seeking together. And we must learn to decrease, and the Lord must increase. And that's what we're here today is to elevate him so that he might increase in us and through us. Well, this is my life verse. It's a verse that I turn to often. If you don't have one, I will share this with you. I don't know if Victor will. Will you share it with them too, Victor, if they want to use our life verse? You will? Okay. Well, there are 800 other Proverbs in the book of Proverbs, and any one of them are inspired by the Holy Spirit through the penmanship of Solomon and are worthy of your consideration. And so I'm going to invite you, if you would, to stand with me in Proverbs chapter 3, beginning with verse 5 and 6. You read so well out loud together. We're going to do so as a church family. We're going to read this text out loud together. So turn to your neighbor and say, use your outside voice. It's <laughs> what my wife used to say to our children when they got too loud in the house. Use your inside voice. But in here, in this house today, we're going to use our outside voice. So... Say with me, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your path. God, thank you for the joy and the privilege that is ours to stand in honor of your holy, infallible, and inerrant word today. It is your word to us in this time and this moment in the life of your family, your church, and us individually. As we come together to have worshiped you, to have honored and glorified you through song and through prayer and through the scriptures, and God, I pray that you would speak into our hearts and lives individually and corporately, that you would help us understand how this verse might help us navigate what you have for us next. It's not just about this afternoon, but it's about the days, weeks, and months ahead. Because, Lord, you have a lot in store for us individually and for this, your church, as we saw two weeks ago, I think there are better days, greater things that you want to do in and through this church. You who see the past, the present, the future all at the same time, know where you're leading your family, your church. You know where you're leading us individually as a part of your church family. 
And God, I pray that you'd open our hearts and minds today to hear not just your word, but to hear from your spirit. Speak to us in ways that would be life transformational because we don't want to leave this place this morning having not been impacted by your presence and by your word today. Use this time to honor and glorify you. Help me, Lord, to communicate clearly what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Decades ago, I was finding myself having been an international missionary kid. My parents were missionaries with the International Mission Board with the Southern Baptist Convention, and I grew up in South America, Brazil. I speak fluent Portuguese. Alguém aqui fala português? Ninguém aqui fala português. Do we have an interpreter here? I was told this was a charismatic church, Victor. I'm just kidding. No, I, I was not told that. Quasi-charismatic, but uh, it's Garrett's fault. Where are you, Garrett? You're somewhere in here, I know. But anyway, um, <laughs> and so uh, having grown up in Brazil at the time, this was back in the uh, late 60s, early 70s, for some of you who were not even born then, uh, our parents only had one vehicle, and so I never sat behind the steering wheel of a vehicle until I became 18, and we came back to the United States, and I went to Dallas Baptist University. And so my father took me to the parking lot, and he was very careful to instruct me as best he could to navigate through the Dallas-Fort Worth metropolitan area. And uh, I can imagine what he thought as he saw me driving off in my Ford Pinto. Anybody know what that looks like, a Ford Pinto? <laughs> Man, that was an awesome car. It was a Two, it had two doors and a hatchback, and it was red and had wheels, and I was, it was awesome. Had a, cassette, had a cassette player. It was really up front. But anyway, and as I drove off, a couple of decades later, I am, my son Matthew Boswell, who is now our pastor, we are members of the Trails Church in Salina, Texas, I was teaching our son how to drive, how to navigate through the Dallas-Fort Worth metropolitan area. Uh, the traffic had changed considerably because the town had grown, gotten a little bit more dangerous. Matter of fact, most accidents occur because of human error. And so I was very careful to instruct him. We did, you know, the letting him drive while we were in the seat, and he passed his driving test, and he got his driver's license. And my wife and I watched him drive off and thought, God help us. <laughs> a couple of decades later, I'm a grandparent. We have 10 grandchildren. Our oldest grandson is now has his driver's license, but I remember seeing him drive up in the driver's seat with our son Matthew in the passenger seat, and it literally freaked me out. <laughs> I'm thinking, here's my grandson. He's driving now, and the metropolitan area of Dallas-Fort Worth has gotten much, much worse. As a matter of fact, your traffic in Amarillo is not much better. <laughs> Just want to let you know. Anyway, so... Uh, and, and I was very careful to instruct him as best I could as a father to give him the tools that were necessary, the insight, the teaching that would help him navigate through the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And then my son passed that on to his son and now his two twin daughters who are about to turn 15. And I pray for them often as they travel through the Dallas metropolitan area. Today in this passage, we see a father. His name is King Solomon. And King Solomon is writing from life experiences, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to write for us the book of Proverbs, in which he gives us almost 800 Proverbs that are for us to learn from and to live by. 
They are life experiences, but they are divinely inspired by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in which he gives these to us as he does to his son, King Rehoboam, who is going to follow his reign. And these are words from a father being passed down from his father, King David, to now his son, King Solomon. And we are going to look at one of the Proverbs of the 800 in the book of Proverbs that will help us understand how we might navigate through the streets of Amarillo. Because, you see, life is filled with uncertainties and insecurities and decisions and things that we sometimes may plan, sometimes we can never plan all the things that are going to come our way as we begin to go through life and experience life and live for the Lord and follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. And as disciples, we're not quite sure what's coming down the pike, but we know that God does. Because God sees the past, the present, and the future all at the same time. And he is well aware of what he has predetermined, what he has predicted, what he has promised would come. And so he's wanting us to go to him as our father to learn from King Solomon, who is writing to his son some principles that will help us navigate into whatever God brings next into our lives. And so I want us to take a look at this text very quickly, and I want to, first of all, point out four principles that I think are worthy of our consideration this morning as we learn to navigate what's next. First of all, if we hope to navigate what's next, we need to do so by respecting God's sovereignty. It's important that we respect the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. He is sitting, and he is reigning, he is ruling on his throne right now as King of kings and Lord of lords, and no one can thwart the purposes of God, and he has purposes that he wants to accomplish and fulfill in you and through you and in his church and through his church, and we must then respect then the sovereignty of God by yielding to him that which he requires from us as his people. And in this text, we first see that he says to us, trust in the Lord with all your heart. The word trust is a verb. It means it is something that is required of us to do, and not only is it something that we must do, but it is also here an imperative, and that simply means this imperative word is a word in which God is admonishing us, it is a command to us that we are to trust. In other words, as his children, it is not an option for us whether or not we're going to trust or not. He says, as my children, you are to trust, and I would hope that every child would trust their father or their mother or their parent. And Christ is wanting us, and the Lord is wanting us. God the Father, in this text, is he's saying trust. It's an imperative. It's a command. It's required of us. It's an obligation. But this obligation carries an object, and the object of this obligation is to trust in the Lord. In is a preposition that helps us understand the direction of our trust. For he says, trust in. In the direction of our trust is in Yahweh, it is in God, it is in the Lord, it is the one who is reigning and ruling on his throne. We are not to trust in ourselves, we are not to trust in other people, we are not to even trust in our government. We, as God's people, are to trust in the Lord. How are we to trust in the Lord? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. The word A L L needs no definition, does it? It doesn't exclude anything for us. It helps us understand that everything, every aspect of our life, all of us, we are to trust in the Lord with all, what? Your heart. Your heart is your passion. Your heart is your desires. Your heart is your mind or your will or your conscience. In other words, what he's calling us to do as a church is to trust in the Lord with everything, with 
all that we have, to lay it at the altar, to place it at his feet, and to trust in him with our all. When we came to faith in Christ, we put our trust completely in him for our own salvation, a salvation that we could not earn. And as a result of that, we trusted in him with our whole heart. The problem is that after that, we have a tendency in this journey of discipleship and following the leadership of the Lord to sort of sit in the driver's seat and trust in ourselves where we want to navigate and where we want to go rather than trusting in where he would have us to go. And he says, trust in the Lord. I want to look at a, a New Testament illustration that will help us understand what I think he is conveying to us. Take your Bible and get your finger there in Matthew chapter 19. Keep it in the book of Proverbs, but turn to Matthew 19, verse 22. I want to set this up for us for just a minute. Here we have a young man who interrupts Christ on his journey. Christ is making a journey and his disciples, and they're going from town to town, and this young man, and I think uh, someone else in the Gospel account says that he is a rich young ruler. You know this. You've heard this many times. Interrupts Christ and he says, what good thing, what good deed must I do in order to inherit eternal life? Apparently, he's a little bit insecure about his eternal destiny and he wants to make sure that he's covering all of his bases. And Christ says to him, why do you say good? There's only one good and that is God himself. If you want to be perfect... Obey the commandments. The young man then turns to Christ and he says, which ones? Christ gives him credit for what he has asked and then responds to him by saying, I want you to obey the commandments. List five of them, and of those five, there's one that's not in the Ten Commandments, and that is to love your neighbor as yourself. So he simply responds by giving him the commandments that the man already knows and has already lived by, by which he then responds to Christ by saying, I've been doing that for a long time since I was a young man. I have abided and kept all of the commandments. He said, really? <laughs> I think Christ could have sat back a minute. He knows his heart and he knows his life, and he issues this challenge to the man. He says, okay, what I want you to do is I want you to go and sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. You'll then be perfect and then follow me. Notice what it says in verse 22. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. There are some that believe that this man had a heart condition, he had a heart problem. And I, I could probably argue that fact, that he probably loved money more than he loved God, but I think it's even a, a deeper subject than this. I think this man was putting self-confidence in himself. His confidence was in himself. He could not place his confidence in Christ. I'm putting my confidence in myself, what I can provide, what I can do, because he asked Christ, what must I do what good deed do I need to do in order to guarantee eternal life? He was wanting to do something. His confidence in his salvation was in himself, not in God, not in Christ. And I think sometimes if you and I are not careful as we navigate through life, as we are confronted with whatever is next, we have a tendency not to trust the Lord with that circumstance or with that situation or with that challenge or that obstacle. And so here, if we are to navigate in the direction that God has already planned and purpose for us, it's important that we lay down our everything before him and say, Lord God, I trust you with all my heart. I trust you with my 
life. I trust you with my marriage. I trust you with my children. I trust you with my grandchildren. I trust you with my finances. I trust you with my business. I trust you with my disease. I trust you with my circumstance. I trust you with my church. We need to come to a place where we are willing to trust God with all of our heart, holding back nothing from him as we navigate to whatever God has for us in 2023 and beyond. The second thing that I see in this text is that we need to then rest in God's understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Notice what he says, and do not lean on your own understanding. And is a conjunction that links what God has said before to what he's about to say. In other words, they are inseparable. They belong together. They are linked. They are connected together. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And on top of that, there's something else I want you to do. Lean not on your own understanding. See, the problem we have sometimes with trust in the Lord with our all is because our perspective sometimes is skewed by our own assessment thinking that we know better than God. And because we perceive something to be a reality, our perception is not always reality. Turn to the person next to you and say, your perception is not always reality. Look them back in the eye and say, well, neither is yours either, bub. <laughs> we perceive something to be reality, or we perceive something to be so in our assessment. And our understanding is of such that we don't really know if we can really trust God with everything because we know what we want and we think we know what we want. But he says, lean not. Lean means to lean. I'm leaning on this pulpit. It's, it's comforting. It gives me security. It, many times pre preachers, you know, and they'll hold on to this thing. It's, this thing's a little low, by the way. I've already told you that, Victor. I'm a little taller than this. But anyway, <laughs> might be good for Garrett, but it's... A little bit taller than me. Sorry, Garrett. See you there, brother. Anyway, <laughs> well, this may be my last time here, okay? That's okay. <laughs> I just lost the staff, but uh, it's all right. Um, we're leaning on something because we're, we're tired and we're resting in it. You're sitting in a pew right now. You have assessed that pew. You believe in the condition that it's in that will hold you up. And so you're resting in that right now, right? You're putting your trust, your confidence in what you are sitting in that it's going to support you. And so sometimes what we use to support us in our assessment is our own understanding. But he says lean not. That is a double negative, meaning that you are not to trust in your own understanding at all. Because your ways are not God's ways, and the reason your ways are not God's ways is because your thoughts often are not always God's thoughts. Do not lean on your own understanding, your own insight, your own intellect, your own ability, your own experience. Don't lean on what you think you know, because you are not God, and your understanding is limited, and God's understanding is not and he is the only one who is the all-wise God. And sometimes our wisdom is not wisdom. And so he's saying, do not lean on your own understanding. Turn with me to Joshua chapter 7. I will give you an example of that in the Old Testament. 
Let me set the stage for you for just a minute. Here we have in Joshua 7, God's people are entering into the promised land. They are occupying, they're possessing that which God has promised. And you know the story. They are confronted with a city called Jericho. And they send spies to spy out Jericho. And they come after the report. And at the report says, it is impenetrable. It is invincible. There's no way in the world that we're going to bring that down and take possession of what God has promised. Joshua prays and seeks the face of the Lord and the wisdom of the Lord. And God gives him this strategy to bring down the walls of Jericho so they can penetrate those walls and possess what God has promised. I don't know about you, but what he prescribes to Joshua, I'm going to say, Lord, that's beyond my understanding. We would have never come up with that in a committee meeting. March around the city for seven days, and at the end of those seven days, blow the trumpet and shout on the walls. Lord, I don't understand that. See, God's understanding is sometimes different than ours. And the walls come down, and they defeat Jericho. Next city is Ai, a little bitty town. They send spies up there. The spies assess the situation and come back, and notice what they say in verse 3, and they returned to Joshua and said to him, do not have all the people go up, but let two or 3,000 men go up and, and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. Where in here do they consult God at all? Nowhere. They don't consult him at all. Why? They got it. They know what to do. They defeated Jericho. Did they really? Or was God the one who defeated Jericho? See, I think they're taking credit for something God did. Right? And, and sometimes we're no different in our assessments. God, I've got this. I've done this before. I've been here before. I know what to do. I'm experienced. I'm skilled. I'm educated. I've got degrees. And as a result of that, our understanding then is implemented, and we never consult with God. God, do I have your understanding, and am I, am I fully aware of what you see, what your perspective is, and what your direction is in this circumstance and in this situation? The fact is that you can't take your next breath without God. You can't. And the only, re- only reason you're breathing right now is because of God. And we ought to consult God sometimes because, well, I'm not saying that you should leave your understanding alone or your experience and just check your mind at the door and and, and just say, you know, I'm I'm clueless, or maybe we can Google that. But I think we need to humble ourselves before God and say, God, help us perceive what you perceive and see what you see to know what you know. Help us to be open to that because I need you. I need your insight. I need your direction. Had they prayed and asked the Lord, they would have found out that there was sin in the camp because a man had taken what God said was his when they had defeated Jericho and had hid it and possessed it, which belonged to God. And that was the main reason why they were defeated. But also, not only was there sin in the camp, but they didn't consult God. Had they consulted God, God's people more than likely would not have been defeated at Ai. 3,000 men attacked the city. They ran in fear for their lives with their tail between their legs, and the whole people of God became depressed because of the defeat of a small town like Ai. If we don't seek God's understanding, 
before we take any initiative to know what he knows, I don't care how small of a challenge it is, you won't succeed. And so he says to us, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Notice what it also then says in verse 6. In all your ways, acknowledge him. In all your ways, acknowledge him. These Two Proverbs go together in all your ways. In is a preposition of direction. It means there's further movement in what God is asking us to do as we learn to trust him and lean not on our own understanding. We are to come to him and in all. That word all again needs no explanation. It means everything in all your ways. In every aspect of your course of conduct, in your actions, in your decisions, you are to Lean not on your own understanding and acknowledge him in all your ways. In all your ways, acknowledge him in every way, in every decision, every direction, every path you take, every conduct that you make. You are to go to the Lord and acknowledge him. That word acknowledge means to recognize God as the supreme, sovereign, preeminent one that he is. He is God, and I am not. And it is he who dictates and determines my actions, my character, my conduct, my decisions, and the direction that I live my life by. And that's a novel concept in churches today. Because often many churches today are telling God what they will and will not do. They don't care what the Word of God says. They are defining their own reality. And they're ignoring what God says. They're not acknowledging God for the preeminent sovereign God that he is. And this word knowledge here is an idea that as we intimately connect with God on a personal, intimate love relationship, the closer we get to him, the more clarity we get in understanding and acknowledging him in all of our ways. And often, many times, the reason why I think some folks have a hard time acknowledging God and not leaning on their own understanding is because they are distant in their relationship with the Lord. Let's take a look at John chapter 6 at this illustration that I want to look at for just a minute. This is another gospel, so turn to John chapter 6. I want us to look at verses 1 through 6. I'm only going to read 5 and 6. Let me set the stage for you here. Jesus is in Galilee. He's sitting on a hill, and he sees the crowd coming. They are pursuing Christ everywhere he goes, everywhere they understand and know where he is, they are pursuing him. And notice in verse 5 what it says, lifting up his eyes then and seeing a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Don't skip over that too quickly. Notice he says, where are we to buy bread? He doesn't say, where are you? He includes himself. Where are we? He's putting himself in their shoes. He's helping them understand that they are together as one, that they are not alone, they're not by themselves, but we together are needing to find food to feed these folks. Now notice what it says in verse 6. He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Christ already knew what he was going to do before he asked what are we going to do? That strike you as strange? 
But he was putting his disciples to the test. Where are we going to find food? And he already knew in advance what he was going to do. In other words, he's wanting them to look to him for the guidance that's necessary and needed in order to accomplish this impossible task. We know that according to, if you read further, we know that Andrew comes with five loaves and two fish, and he presents it to Christ, and admittedly he says, this is all we got, and this is not enough. Let me do a side note here. Well, you can bring what you have to the table and offer it to the Lord. It's never enough, sufficient in and of itself, to accomplish what God wants you to accomplish without him. And so they bring, Andrew does these two pieces, these five loaves and these two fish, and he said, here's, this is all we got, but, but what is this for so many? Even if we had a fortune, we could not provide the food for 5,000 men and women and children. And Christ prays. And after the prayer, he gives those five loaves and two fish to his disciples. I'm not sure how he divided that up, and he said, feed them. I don't know about you, but that strikes me as weird, wouldn't you? If you're one of those 12 guys and you had a piece of bread and a piece of fish, and Jesus says, go feed people with what you got, what would you think? it's, It's beyond their understanding. There's no way in the world they could fathom the possibility of of what was about to happen, and they do exactly what Christ tells them to do, and the end result is not only 5,000 people or men plus women and children. How many did they have left over? Come on. How many? Twelve basketfuls left of food, and everybody was full. They did what they did his way. We are instructed in all your ways, do it his way. We are insufficient, we are incompetent, we are impotent without him, and even though we bring the meager that we have to the table and offer what we have, God says, I cannot use just that. I'm going to multiply it, and I'm going to use what you bring to the table in, in, in ways that you could never possibly imagine I'm going to do in you and through you. In all your ways, acknowledge him. I don't know what you're facing today and where you are today, but you're insufficient. You don't have the power, you don't have the resources to manage, much less do anything about your circumstance or your condition or where you are, but he is. And if you will offer yourself and say, Lord, in all my ways I will acknowledge you, I dare you to watch what he will do through you when you allow him to work in you and through you and accomplish what he wants to do in your life and through your life and in his church. Lastly, notice the promise, and he will make straight your path. We navigate through what's next by relying on God's provision, his presence, and his power. Notice any one of those P's will work. I listened to David's sermon the other day. He didn't have any alliteration. I got plenty of alliteration, brother. <laughs> Sorry about that. I'm an old school guy. I just think like that. But it helps me remember I'm a little slow. But anyway, I don't know where I went with that, so I apologize. <laughs> I did listen to your sermon, brother. I thought it was great. Thank you for that. Anyway, I did say you had competent staff, right? Amen? 
One more time, a little more outside voice. Amen. Amen. Okay. And is a conjunction that leads to a promise. And he, who is the he? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And he, that personal pronoun, is directed at God and Yahweh. And he, God, will is a promise. Now the word will make straight is one single word, but there is this word will as we begin to divide it in English. And here we see that he will. It is something that God will do. He will perform. He, may, he will make reality. He will make straight. That word make straight means to make it straight, simply to take care of the obstacles and the opposition that is in the path that would prevent you from accomplishing and fulfilling the purpose and the plan of God. Yes, as you are seeking to fulfill and accomplish what God purposes and promises in your life, there are going to be obstacles. They're going to be there. They're going to be hurdles. There may even be mountains that either God allows to be placed in our path or maybe he places them himself in order to test us. But he will take care of those obstacles. Not only are there obstacles, but there's also opposition. And that opposition comes from an enemy who doesn't want us to fulfill and accomplish the purposes and the plans of God. And he is doing everything he can to stop the progress of the gospel going forth, not only in your life, but through this church and this community. And Satan will place opposition in your path. But here's the beauty. He will take care of it. For greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. But he will make straight your, that your is directed at those who fulfill what we've been talking about this morning. Your path, your circumstance, your situation. Turn to Matthew 14, 28. Matthew 14, 28. I want to look at one verse, verse 31. Matthew 14, last verse. Thank you for coming up with that clock there, brother. I appreciate that. I was warned, I was told the last Sunday I was here, there's a clock right there. Just want to keep me reminded that it's there. I said, you need something bigger than that, brother. I can't see that. No, just kidding. I'm going to designate somebody to sit in front of that thing. But anyway. Christ has just heard that John the Baptist, his cousin, is dead. He's been killed, martyred. He feeds the 5,000 in Matthew 14. And after he's fed the 5,000 plus women and children, he sends his disciples off into the boat to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And he takes a retreat up into the mountains there in Israel to spend some time alone with God. Six hours later, evening has fallen. It's about 3 to 6 o'clock in the morning. And he comes down from the mountain. He's prayed all night. And he comes to the shore, and he realizes there's, he doesn't realize, he knows, there's a storm going on, winds and waves beating up against the boat, where he can clearly see his disciples out in the middle. It's too far for him, you know, and they're out there. It's been a while. And they're battling to get to the other side, and the winds and the waves, and they're fearful for their lives. And as they are battling the winds and the waves, Jesus does what only Jesus can do. He decides, well, the only way to get from here to there is to walk on the water. Now, think about that. Christ is walking on the water in the midst, probably, of the storm of a decade. It's a horrendous storm. 
and he is walking on the storm through the winds and the waves toward his disciples. You know the story. They see him, and they think it is a ghost, right? And they yell, it's a ghost. And Christ says, fear not, it is I. It is me. And what does Simon Peter do? He does what he always does. Hey, Jesus, if it's really you, command me to come, and I can walk on water too. Right? You know what I think that other disciples were there when Jesus said, come on? I think he was standing kind of this close to the edge, and somebody gave him a little help. <laughs> Peter, you're always opening your mouth and inserting your foot. Let me help you, buddy. Have you ever known anybody like that? If you don't know anybody like that, you're probably that person. <laughs> and uh, Peter steps out in faith. He's walking on water. And all of a sudden, he begins to look at the winds and the waves. You know the story. And I think Peter sinks about to his bottom lip because he's that stubborn. And you know stubborn people like that, don't you? If you don't know those people, you're that person. And finally, he's starting to take in water, and he does what Simon Peter does. Help, Lord! And immediately, Jesus reaches down, and notice what he says, O ye of little faith. Does that strike you as weird? The guy's been walking on water, man. Who says to him, O ye of little faith? He just walked on water. In other words, he didn't have the faith that was necessary to finish the task. But anyway, we don't have time for that, because that's not my main point. And here's my point. Then he and Simon Peter and Christ walk side by side, hand in hand, all the way to the boat. Notice verse 31. Jesus immediately reached out in hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of a little faith, why did you doubt? Verse 32. Don't miss this. A lot of times people miss it. And when they got into the boat, what happened? When they got into the boat, what happened? The wind what? When did the, when did the wind cease? When they got into the boat. You know, a lot of times when we're going through circumstances and situations that we don't like, we want God to release us and relieve us right now from this circumstance and situation because the storm is too much. It would have been really easy for Christ to, to calm the wind and the waves right then when he lifted Simon Peter up and they could have walked on still glass water all the way to the, the boat. But that's not what he did. He walked hand in hand with Simon Peter through the storm, and the storm did not stop until after they got on the boat. That's what he's saying here in this parable. The winds and the waves may come. The opposition may be there. The obstacles may be there. The winds and the waves may beat against you, and you may think you're going to die, but I am present with you. I will walk with you. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Thou art with me. God is with you wherever you go. And if we will trust in the Lord with all our heart, lean not on our own understanding, acknowledge him in all our ways, he will. He, and God fulfills his promise. He will make straight your path. He may not release you and relieve you from the storm immediately, but he's with you. You know that old saying that they say the light is at the end of the tunnel? Yeah. 
You ever heard anybody say that to you, trying to encourage you to, you're in the dark moments of life and there's light at the end of the tunnel. Persevere, man, you'll get to the light at the end. That's a lie. <laughs> Christ said, I am the light. And the light is with you in the darkness, in the tunnel, in the storm, through the winds and the waves. And when he is with you, he is all you need. Because he will make straight your path. And he will take care of the opposition. He will take care of the obstacles. And he will do what only he can do. Let's pray. God, thank you for the joy and the privilege and the opportunity we've had this day to take this time to be with you. And God, I pray that you would speak to us this morning. Individually, we're all in different places. And by your sovereignty and by your understanding, you know us personally. You call us by name. You know where we are. You know what we're going through. You know where we're headed. Only you can see the past, the present, the future all at the same time. And you have purposes and plans that you want to fulfill through us individually. And God, I pray that you would speak into our hearts this morning. Some have been praying to be released and relieved from their circumstance and their situation. They've been crying out to you for a long time. Maybe a wayward child, grandchild, a difficult marriage, a financial problem, a physical need. Maybe it's a business decision. And Lord, you know their hearts, you know their prayers. You have not turned your back. Your ears have been attentive to their prayers. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would minister unto them in this time in only ways that you can to let them know that you are beside them that you are with them and that you will if they will trust in you with all their heart and not lean on their own understanding and in all their ways acknowledge you you will you will you will make straight their path may not be today may not be tomorrow but it will come give us endurance give us patience give us grace give us strength to look to you, to lean on you and not develop perspectives of our own making but understand that while we're going through whatever we're going through, there's a purpose there's a test, there's a reason and we're growing through all that you allow to come into our lives and by your grace God, you sustain us God, we don't know what's coming next, we don't know what's around the corner, we don't even know what's going to happen this afternoon, but you do and so, Lord, we put our faith, our trust, our confidence in you. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, would you take just a moment to allow the Holy Spirit of God to speak truth in your life today, wherever you are? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? Do you know him? Have you made that decision clear? Have you prayed that prayer of faith? As we close our service this morning, there'll be some pastors up front, and David will be in the back in the greeting area. We'd be glad to talk to you at any time, anywhere, about your decision to trust Christ as your Savior and Lord. And if that's the decision you need to make today, don't put it off. Maybe you need to step forward and trust him in baptism and just follow the Lord today and publicly declaring your faith in Christ and follow Christ in baptism. Would you come? 
Maybe it's going to be part of this church, even in the interim time or during this waiting period for the new pastor to say, this is my church family. This is where I belong. This is where I'm going to serve. Maybe there's a circumstance or situation right now that you're going through. You just needed to hear this today, and there's a decision that God's placed upon your heart. Lay it at his feet and do what he says do. Lord, I pray that as we stand in a moment and sing this to you, that your spirit would move us to a decision that would glorify you out of our obedience to what we understand to be your will. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing.